0: As a fan of the dark and demented, there was something about the TV show Dickinson that really spoke to me. Maybe it was because I absolutely love her poetry and do find her to be one of the greatest poets that we've ever produced as a country, possibly even in the English language. But there's also the way that they brought magic realism into the world, which I've talked about on a previous episode. But today, I want to talk about the themes of Dickinson season one. Of love death and poetry and how they weave an enchanting story about a young girl who's becoming a woman in an age where being a woman was a liability on today's project Shadow Can you hear me? I have something to say. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my latest book, Crucify My Love. But today we're talking about darkness and that beautiful kind of darkness that gets woven through a story about friendship, love, and, you know, that sort of clueless meets mean girls kind of just craziness that was Dickinson. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And that, my friends, is why I do this podcast in the first place. And also, if you haven't, for some reason, subscribed or followed or whatever the word is on the app that you're listening to me on, why not do that? I make new episodes five days a week on various topics, and I would love to have you along for the ride. Alrighty. I don't know where to start with this, so I am going to begin with, there will probably be spoilers for Dickinson in this episode. I'm saying probably instead of there will definitely be, because I'm going to be talking a lot more about the themes of the show than the content of the show for the most part, but... I will be talking about events that take place in the series, and as a result, that will be spoilerish, depending on what your personal definition of spoiler is. So, if you have yet to watch Dickinson, and you don't want any spoilers whatsoever, please, please, I beg you, go watch the show, and then come back and we'll talk about it. Okay? So let's get started. I've already talked a lot about The wonderful work that Haley Steinfeld did playing Emily Dickinson. And, you know, I could go on and on and on and just talk about how Adrian Esco does such a good job playing Austin and Jane Krakowski playing Mrs. Dickinson is just so wonderful. And Toby Huss playing Edward is on point and completely perfect for the role because he can play the hard and the soft that that character requires. And I could just talk about the cast just to no end. But what makes this show particularly affecting is not only in its themes of magical realism, which we've talked about on a previous episode, but in how particularly Haley Steinfeld is able to bring so much weight to these moments that could come off as silly, strange, or bizarre. And she plays them completely naturally, whether that be talking to a bumblebee, voiced by Nick Kroll, or getting into the carriage with Death, played by Wiz Khalifa. And throughout this series, we have various questions asked about love, death. What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a poet? And why would it be scandalous? for her to be known as a poet. And the questions of love that this show brings up are really, really interesting, mainly in the relationship between Emily and Sue, who have one of the most beautifully tragic love affairs. And it's one that just fills me with so much joy to see in how well they're able to pull it off. Because it's a character that, it's it's a series of character traits that could be difficult to make work. Number one, the, I don't know how to say this other than just to blurt it all out. So one of the things that I enjoy most about how this show has played with these characters' affections and sentiments is that it understands that it exists in a time when sexuality wasn't classified. And that's very important to point out, because we're kind of entering the first phase where homosexuality is about to be coined as a term, and people are going to start identifying as such. We're entering the period where we will have our Oscar Wilds and our Parisian Nights and, well, all the craziness that took place in Berlin. But that hasn't completely happened yet. You see, when we talk about LGBT people nowadays, we have words, we have language, and we're still coming up with language, such as non-binary, which has confused way too many people. It just means we're not on the binary, honey. Not really male, not really female, somewhere in between, or none of the above. That's all that means. Now, we can... more specific than that, but that's another show. And this show understands that it takes place before that time. So the idea that Emily could have romantic experiences with both Sue and Ben is not portrayed as something strange or bizarre. Because remember, until various uh, forces who decided to inflict their concepts of morality onto the rest of us really started pushing for those concepts to be rigidly enforced. These were just events that happened in people's lives. The idea that someone might have a partner of the same gender at some point, it may happen, it may not happen, but often it was seen as a phase. In a lot of ways, same sex attractions in the past were more or less seen as a child's goth phase. Something that they go through and will eventually grow out of, unless, of course, they're just gothic at heart. Because, well, we can't all help it if our hearts aren't red and beating warmly for the world. And so the way that this show doesn't take time to delve into the angst that one would expect from a period piece on characters who have same-sex attraction for each other and mixed-sex attractions for each other, it's refreshing and it's it's wonderfully groundbreaking in a way. Because even in modern media where a character is revealed to have same-sex attractions for another character, it's often a plot point. It's something that, well, we're going to have to talk about and have angst about and have feelings about and have conversations about it. And yes, that media is important and sometimes we need to have those conversations. But this show, while it does shoehorn in some politics from the modern era and some ideas from the modern age into its narrative, the fact that it treats human sexuality as just something natural and doesn't spend much time talking about it. Yes, there are Boys into boys and girls into girls and girls into boys and boys into girls. And sometimes that goes back and forth and in and out and around and about we go. The, it's beautiful and it's refreshing. And it's interesting to see the love triangle that develops in the series because I'm not a fan of love triangles. And it's not really a love triangle because, well, two people really love each other. And that's Sue and Emily. They do. They have a love for the ages, and oh, I, I, I love them so much together, and I can't wait to see where we go in the future. And honestly, I'm not even going to talk about anything historical at this point, because it's a TV show, and it can do whatever it wants. Though it is probably going to try to stick to the big points of her life that we do know. But when her brother Austin realizes that Emily and Sue have this relationship, he becomes so deliciously jealous... And it's more of a possessive thing than a love thing, because women were possessions. And we see this with both Austin and George, who, while George claims to have feelings for Emily and claims to love Emily, and there's a good chance that George does, he, in the end, treats Emily as a possession. And when he can't have her, he goes to collect another female because, after all, that is what men do. And to see this radical difference between the societal expectations that a man shall collect his female and she shall be ever vigilant and loving towards him, and people developing an honest, true, organic relationship with each other, built on trust and intimacy, seeing those two things juxtaposed in the way that the relationship between Sue and Austin plays out and the way that the relationship between Sue and Emily plays out is a magical thing to watch. And it isn't really a love triangle as it is two competing definitions of love, the love that we feel and the institution that we feel that we should belong to. And that is a powerful thing. Now, the relationship between Emily and Ben is a very different one, because as we learn throughout the show, and again, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the show and doesn't want to have any spoilers for the events that will play out, Ben is a homosexual. Oh yes, oh yes, he plays for the team that dare not speak its name, especially not in the 1800s when our story takes place. And he is actually more interested in Austin sexually than he is in Emily. Which makes sense when you think about it. Austin is cute. But the way their relationship, the relationship between Emily and Ben actually plays out is not one of pure friendship or even one of pure romanticism. It is an intellectual relationship. It is one built off of that most overly used phrase in all time it is a platonic love and it is a pure love neither one really has bodily urges for the other but they've connected in such a strong and powerful way that they want to be together and they declare their unlove for each other and they declare their intent to be ravenously unmarried one to another And we watch their relationship grow and blossom, not just through intellectual curiosity, but through his appreciation for her art and the fact that he is willing to see her as a person and not as a woman. That is one of the great underlying themes of this series is that women are property in the eyes of the patriarchy. They're property in the eyes of of the state and their property in the eyes of most of the male characters that we meet and encounter throughout the series. Ben is different. And yes, we can attribute part of Ben's difference to the fact that he is not sexually interested in female companionship and that he wears a wedding ring so that people will not ask him about this and tells tales about how his wife is just off and away I kept waiting for a line about how she's in Canada right now, but I didn't get it. But I'm fine with that. Watching their relationship, though, as they connect as the most elusive of things as human beings, that we see the humanity of both Ben and Emily emerge between them. It contrasts beautifully with the other great love affair of Emily's life and the great love triangle that she's in through a lot of Season 1. It's not really a love triangle at all. Her relationship between her and Sue, her relationship between her and Ben, and her relationship with Death. Death being personified as a character, being played brilliantly, brilliantly by Wiz Khalifa in this series, reveals the great dark secret of the universe that Emily is unwilling to accept. And maybe eventually she will. Because we see that Death is a character. He's not merely a figment of her imagination. And that's one of the most powerful elements of the story. When she gets into his carriage and he tells her that she won't be seeing him very much because he's going to be very busy. Because he is about to have to go down and deal with the Civil War and his time is going to be spread thin as he collects all the bodies that are offered to him. We see him look at her with disdain in his eyes. What do you think that I loved you? No, I don't love you, Emily. You belong to me. And so death in so many ways, is the epitome of the heterosexual patriarchal love that is considered the norm in the time in which our story has taken place. The relationship between Death and Emily is no different than the relationship between her father and mother. She promised to play a role, and as long as she can play her role, then she is fulfilling her womanly duties. And her father is fine with that. He doesn't seem to show any emotion one way or the other. They never have a tender moment with each other. They never have a moment where you see love between them because they were supposed to get married. And so they did. It is an institutional affair. Mrs. Dickinson belongs to him. There's no love, there's no room for love, no need for love. And in the same way, Emily comes to see that she belongs to death. We all belong to death. It is the great institution from which none of us shall escape. We can prevent ourselves from getting married. We can keep ourselves from falling in love by putting up guards against us. None of us can protect ourselves from the specter of death. And while he may whisper sweet nothings in our ear and while he may come for us in our weakest moments when we need him most, he doesn't care. He has no feelings for us in that way. We are his property in the same way that a woman is the property of a man in the series. And seeing that juxtaposed to each other, the relationship that Austin wants to have with Sue, that George wants to have with Emily, that Emily's parents have with each other. You see the argument being made that Emily makes that to get married would be to die because she would have to give up herself and be whatever her husband wanted her to be. We see Sue talking about this throughout the series. We see Emily talking about this throughout the series. In fact, Emily and Ben have some wonderful conversations about this. And we see this played out in the relationship she has with Death. Because she feels like Death loves her and understands her. And maybe he does. Maybe he does, somewhere deep down, actually care for her. And he's just putting on a facade. Because after all, he is Death and he can't show favorites. But maybe, just maybe, he's showing how the institution, as it has been corrupted through this idea of human ownership. You see this constant theme throughout the show of the slave, the escaped slave and how they have to hide their own free man who works for them because the slave hunters will take any black person back and say, look, we found them and get their money and get paid in the coming civil war in the debates they have over slavery and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. They all believe it's a bad thing, but Emily's father thinks that it's just something you have to put up with. How do you just put up with slavery, with other people being owned and beaten and raped? But it's how the institution works. And so her father, who's the voice of the great institutions, accepts it. He's the literal embodiment of the patriarchy. Everyone must leave. It's time for me to have my pipe. I'm going to read and have my pipe. Everyone go. And we see his lack of caring. And those few times in the middle of the night when it breaks down and he comes to Emily's room and has a tender moment of care and concern for her and wanting the best for her. But when society is around when others are around, when it could affect how others could see him, he goes back to playing the role that was designed for him and not the one that he chose, not the one that he would choose. We see everyone struggling with the roles that they're placed in and how the institutions that are meant to give life meaning and guidance and purpose are corrupted through this idea of ownership because you can never own a person they are their own no matter what you call them and that's one of the many reasons why I love this show so much and I hope you've watched it and I hope you loved it too if you have or even if you haven't and you have any questions comments or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show In the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to everything that I do over at ProjectShadow.com. If you haven't already and you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe or follow or whatever it's called in the app that you're listening to me on, because I do this five times a week on different topics. And I would love to have you come along with me. If you really liked what you heard and you have a dollar that you can spare, in the show notes you'll find a link to both listener support and my Patreon. As little as a dollar a month really does go a long way in helping me to keep the lights on and helping me to buy new software, because I'm about to have to make a purchase that wise in a couple days. Thank you to everyone who's already done that. It means the world to me. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you know somebody you think would like this podcast or anything that I do, please do share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. Thank you all so much for your time. And until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.